What's up everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we are starting chapter 11 and Paul is changing gears in this passage as he begins to address public worship, which is basically how church services should go, the order of conduct and how they should be handled. And he's going to focus on um, some very specifics here because he's addressing problems in this setting. It's not just he's instructing them for the very first time, but there are some issues that have risen. He's addressing those specific problems, and the wording is a little confusing in this, and it's very easy um, to kind of get lost with what Paul is trying to say. So I really encourage you guys to pay attention as we read this passage today. Listen closely to um, the study as to what um, the commentators were saying as, you know, as I'm relaying this information to you guys. And uh, as they explain what Paul is trying to communicate so that we as Christians today don't get caught up with trying to enforce unnecessary things on other people inside the church. Because that happens. You know, we take passages of scripture. Sometimes we can misinterpret them or we've been taught uh, the wrong meaning behind them by other people. And we can sometimes end up enforcing things that really aren't that important that maybe aren't necessarily biblically true or accurate and uh, aren't necessarily culturally true or accurate. So let's read this together. Pay really close attention today and uh, make sure that you are able to listen to this in a way that is uh, really devoting your full attention to it because I think this is very important. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read verses 1 through 16 together. It says, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, instructions for public worship. Verse 2. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. A man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying and prophesying. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as having her as shaving her head. Yes, if she refuses to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair, but since <clears throat> it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. A man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping, for a man is made in God's image and reflects God's glory. And woman reflects man's glory. For the first man didn't come from woman, but the first woman came from man. And man was not made for woman, but woman was made for man. For this reason, and because the angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. But among the Lord's people, women are not independent of men, and men are not independent of women. For although the first woman came from man, every other woman was born, every other man, sorry, was born from a woman. And everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without covering her head? Isn't it obvious that it's disgraceful for a man to have long hair? And isn't long hair a woman's pride and joy, for it has been given to her as a covering? But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God's other churches. 
All right, let's talk about verse 1 for a second because it's a little difficult to tell whether or not Paul is referring to the end of chapter 10 by saying, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. Um, as As I seek to see others brought to Christ and not please myself, but I live so that others can be saved. Or if he's leading into chapter 11... Um, with instructions on worship and saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ in respecting God's order and authority in the church. Now, most scholars believe uh, that it was meant to be associated with the end of chapter 10, but it could be effective for both chapters because Paul is trying to set the example and make sure that both are being done. You know, that many people are being saved and that we're being self-sacrificing so that more people can can get saved. But he's also saying, follow me and imitate me because orderly worship is important and making sure that we're not distracting or doing anything wrong when we worship God is very important. So it can be applied to both if you really want to break it down and look at it. Now verse 2 was probably a little facetious um you know if you remember at the beginning of this book uh the people in corinth were arguing over who they followed and who they didn't many of them did not even want to acknowledge paul as an apostle so you can imagine if if they questioned his authority as an apostle then they also questioned his teachings and some translations say traditions Uh, And I want to be really careful in that because uh, you have to keep in mind that this is the early church and the fact that the church in Corinth was also only about two years old during this time. So as you can imagine, the traditions had not even had time to really set in. And so in in the versions of scripture that may say traditions, it's very important to understand that it's actually referring to teachings and not actually traditions. And that's important because many people have tried to use that verse of scripture to justify holding on to things that have become traditional in worship settings or in certain churches and certain uh, things that have gone on. And it's kind of been used as a way to hang on to those things, even though they're not um, they're not effective or useful anymore. And so we have to be careful in that. Now, while some things are worth maintaining, uh, like sound doctrine, uh, scriptural teaching, things like that, uh, making sure that we maintain the integrity and consistency of the gospel. Uh, It's important to remember and remind ourselves that this verse is not advocating for the keeping of outdated traditions or ceremonial rituals. That's very important to know. Now, verse 3 begins to get down to the nitty-gritty of how public worship should take place and some of the things that should be going on. And Paul begins to talk about the head. Now, by saying head, Paul is really referring to the source. So when it's like if you go to the head of the river, the source of the river, the head of the problem, the source of the problem. Um, and he kind of explains this a little bit. And so you have to make sure that you're really paying attention to everything Paul's saying to catch on. But 
you know, he, he says that Christ is the head of man, or the source of every man, and man is the head of woman, or the source of woman, and God is the head or source of Christ. Now, if you simply look at it from the perspective of man came from Christ, and woman came from man, and Jesus came from God, uh, you would, in a sense, be correct by just simply applying it that way, but Paul isn't just talking about <clears throat> where these things or where these people come from. Paul is referring to the appropriate authority that each source is supposed to have over what it's facilitating. And that that is an order to all things. And the source of things should have authority over what it is providing for. So if Christ is providing for man, he should have authority over man. If man is providing for woman, he should have authority over woman. And if God is providing for Christ, or if he's the source of Christ, then he has authority over him. And Jesus said while he was on earth that, um, that he has come to do the will of the Father. He's submitting to God's authority. And at the same time, you know, once Jesus had been crucified, and once Jesus had done everything God had called him to do, all authority on heaven and on earth was then given to Christ because he did the will of the Father and submitted to him. So that's really important for us to understand that this passage is more about honoring authority and honoring the people who are in leadership or, or you know, the fact that God is in authority over us and honoring that and submitting to that authority. This is more or less the heart of this passage than anything else <clears throat> so paul uses these three examples to describe headship and authority jesus has authority and headship over every man man has authority and headship over women and god has authority and headship over christ now in the context of this culture and we're talking about the corinthian culture a greek saturated a greek a greco-roman saturated culture uh with a group of Jewish people who was kind of smack in the middle of it, who were also coming from their Jewish traditions, who were living in a Greco-Roman world, who has now given their hearts to Christ. Many of the people in the church, uh, all this stuff would make perfect sense to them because they would understand the culture, <clears throat> the culture and context of how people viewed. Um, authority and leadership just in the world in general and even in their culture. So because of that, it is important to understand that <clears throat> these people, because of being Jewish, would have already believed in Genesis, in the story of God creating Adam and Eve, and creating Eve from Adam, and creating Eve to help Adam. So, uh... <clears throat> Because these people had already believed in God, they believed in the Old Testament, and now they put their faith in Christ, understanding him to be the head of man would be easy. So, so this is kind of like an easy concept. This would be easy for them to pair these things together. So Paul is just setting up the proper channels of authority by these three examples of Christ being the head of man, man being the head of woman, and God being the head of Christ. And and those are easy things to understand, especially for a Jewish culture, and especially for a Greco-Roman culture. Like, that would be very important. So, 
verses six or four through six, verses four through six, can be slightly confusing <clears throat> just because of the play on words. So when it says a man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying or prophesying, this doesn't mean that he dishonors his physical head on his body by covering it. It means that he dishonors Christ as head or his source. He dishonors his source. He dishonors Christ if he covers his head while prophesying or praying. Now, many people have used this passage to promote the idea that wearing a hat um, in church or uh, any, you know, anything like that, wearing a hat during a worship service would be disrespectful and dishonoring and that this was wrong. And I'm not saying that it isn't wrong. Okay, now I don't wear a hat to church and I don't wear a hat inside the church. But I also don't fuss at other people if they do. So I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's not something that I, I, I do. But you have to think about the culture and context um, of the day that this letter is being written. And wearing a covering or a veil in this culture was not only uh, common, but it was expected for women to do that. Okay, so we're talking about coverings and not hats. Okay, we're talking about coverings like veils or head coverings. This was very much expected for women in this culture, both in the Greco-Roman world, but also in the Jewish world. And the problem is, is that if men wore a covering, it was usually done because they were trying to be like women. And what that means is, is that they were messing around with homosexuality, cross-dressing, and things like that. And you have to understand that this was a very common thing in the Greek and Roman culture, that in this world, homosexuality and cross-dressing and kind of like, I'm not going to say it was transgender stuff, but they were trying to pretend that they were other genders, okay? This was very common in Corinth. And there were many men inside the church who had put their faith in Christ, but they were also wanting to still participate in that sexual sin, in, in the sin of engaging in wrongful sexual interaction, in engaging in trying to dress and be and present themselves as females. And so they were wearing head coverings. They were also growing their hair out, but it wasn't just that their hair was long. It was also that they were fixing their hair like women. They were making it look pretty and feminine. And there's a difference between a man having long hair and then a man fixing his hair like a woman. Like there are feminine aspects to the way that most women fix their hair. And there's a difference. Like I don't believe it's sinful for a man to have long hair. But there's something weird about a man who tries to fix his hair like a woman. That's different. And this is what's happening in the church in Corinth. And this is what Paul is addressing. So, Paul was saying that to do this, if a man does this, it's dishonoring to Christ. Because it's sinful. I mean, it's it's sinful activity. You're engaging in homosexuality and cross-dressing and 
and trying to tempt other people. And then you're messing up the order of authority in the church. Because in the same way, if a woman did not wear her expected veil or covering, it was also dishonoring because it was seen as not being under the authority of man. She was refusing to do what was expected of her by the culture, but also by the people in the church. <clears throat> so if the man wore the covering, his actions suggested that he was not in authority and that he didn't want authority, but he was trying to be a woman. And if the woman did not wear her covering, she was saying that she did not accept the authority of a man, that she wanted to be like man, and perhaps that even she herself was trying to assume authority that did not belong to her. Now, the only women in this culture, and this is very important to understand, the only women in the Greco-Roman culture who did not wear uh, covering or veils uh, were typically women of ill repute. They were prostitutes, or they had been adulterous. And uh, if that were the case, especially if they were adulterous, um, they would have had their heads shaved as a result of that. Now, <clears throat> to the Jews, it didn't necessarily mean that it was a punishment or it was a punishment for the Jewish people to do that to an adulterous woman, but to the Greeks... Basically, it just meant that she was a prostitute. Okay, so if a woman did not wear her veil or covering, she was just a prostitute. In the Jewish world, which is most of the people that Paul's writing to, <clears throat> it would have meant that she was an adulterous woman, and as punishment, they would have shaved her head. Now, one might say that the woman not wearing her covering not only did she not refuse to accept the God-given authority of man over her, but she was also trying to claim authority that did not belong to her. She was overstepping her bounds both in culture and in the way that God had set things to be. Basically, Paul is saying that if you're going to forsake your head covering, you just need to go ahead and shave your head to identify yourself with the other sinful women in the world and, and just go ahead and wear their shame with them because you're no different from the world. Like, if you're going to act like them, look like them while you're at it. And um, it was just very important to this culture in this time for women to be in their proper place and for men to be in their proper place. That is how they operated. And... When you look at this passage, especially verses 7 through 10, could be very controversial in our culture today because we're very much uh, understanding and we very much advocate for women's rights and equality for women. But when you read this passage, we have to remember that Paul is referring back to what God has intended from the very beginning. Okay, now... I believe that women should have freedom. I believe that women should have rights. I believe that women should have equal rights as men. And I love my wife, and my wife is way smarter than me. She's very capable. But looking at it from a Christian perspective and how God created everything from Genesis all the way through Revelation, when you look at God's Word, 
I cannot argue with the fact that God has set it up for man to be the leader. And I'm not saying that women are not more talented than a lot of men or couldn't do a better job than them. But it's not how God necessarily set it up. He created man first in his image and for his glory. And we see that in the book of Genesis. And woman was made from Adam for Adam. And you have to see that and you have to understand it. And some of the stuff we just have to accept through faith and understanding, even though we may not like it. And this is harder for women to accept because, you know, women want to be equal. They want to be seen as equal. And yet, if you look at Scripture, they are equal in God's eyes, but there has to be an order to leadership. And God has given that leadership to man. And this is just a basic Genesis 101 understanding. It was God's intention for this order in creation. And he did it from the very beginning upon creation, but he also intensified the authority of man over woman even after the sin in the Garden of Eden, both of them were kicked out. It's, it's, it's not a matter of culture. It's not a matter of preference. And it's not a matter of wokeness, um, which is what we're dealing with today in a lot of different areas. This is just how God designed it. And, and if we want to honor God, then we have to honor his order and authority. And Paul continues to insist that this is why it's so important for men not to wear coverings to look or try to be like women because they must assume the authority that God has given them from the beginning of time. And women should wear their covering and humbly submit to the authority that God has placed over them through man since the beginning of time. Now it's vitally important as we're kind of finishing up today to understand that even though Paul is advocating for women to submit to the authority of men, and that God has ordained this, that, that men and women are not independent of one another, but they are very much dependent on each other. The headship of authority between man and woman is not only the facet is it's not the only facet taking place here. So yes, man is the leader, but there's so much more to the relationship of men and women. They need one another. Men need women as much as women need men. They rely on one another. We're supposed to rely on one another. God designed it for us to need one another. And Paul even reminds him that while women came from men, or the first woman came from man, every man since Eve has been born from a woman. Not to mention, we all come from God. So so this is not something that men should... Authority and leadership is not something that men should lord over women. We shouldn't just like rejoice at the fact of, Oh, we're in charge, so we get to tell women what to do, and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, it, it, is, a, it is actually a, a curse in disguise to a certain extent. Because not only will we give an account for our own life, But we will also give an account for the authority that we have over our wife and our children and the other people around us. Because we have that authority, now we are responsible for them. And so we will have to answer 
for their spiritual health, for, for their lives, for their even some of their choices, because we have such a huge part in raising and protecting and guiding and and providing for them. And that's an enormous thing to take on. It's a huge burden. So, it's a very serious responsibility that both sides should take seriously in an effort to honor God. If you want to worship God, you want to approach Him and come boldly before His throne, <clears throat> we need to honor what God has set in place. Basically, Paul is just saying that someone had to be in charge and it just happens that God has ordained men to be the leader inside the body of Christ. Now, again, as a Wesleyan, I fully support <clears throat> women being in ministry, women having leadership in church. We have multiple women on our, uh, on our board of administration. We have women on our staff. Uh, we have women pastors across our denomination, ordained women pastors. <clears throat> and so by no means am I saying that women cannot hold leadership positions, and it doesn't mean that they cannot lead or they don't have the ability to. It just simply means that God intended for men to be in authority in general, especially more along the lines of in the home and just in the order of worship. Now, the only difference is is that Paul is distinguishing the way that people are praying and prophesying and really taking on <clears throat> active roles in the church. And Paul is just saying that there should be a difference between the way that a woman does it and the way that a man does it. Men should not cover their head and women should. And this is the order of worship that should take place. Now Paul finishes up the section by encouraging them to judge for themselves. Is it okay to do this? Is it okay? It's not a matter of long hair or short hair. It's the fact that men in their culture wanted to wear long hair and fix it like women as a sign of homosexuality and cross-dressing. It's a sign that <clears throat> women's hair was seen as a wonderful gift and women who didn't wear their covering or who didn't use their natural covering and shaved their head or didn't wear their veil were not submitting to the authority of a man. <clears throat> they were living outside of that and they were trying to assume authority of maybe even trying to be like a man and get his authority. Paul finishes up by saying that this is simply a custom that was accepted by God's other churches. And that's important. There, there was no way of getting around this. There was no other options. There was no other way that these people could do this or explain it or finagle it to make it work. It was important for them to submit to this understanding in order to keep an orderly worship, which was the most important thing that people were not distracted during services. So by no means were these teachings meant to be applied in every situation and circumstance with all Christians and all times and all places around the world. This is a very specific context and a specific thing going on. So make sure that you're careful not to just look at a man who walks in your church with long hair and say, oh, he's dishonoring Christ. Or that you look at women who's not wearing their head covering and say, oh, they're dishonoring Christ. Or 
that a guy walks in with a hat on and say, oh, he's dishonoring Christ. It's like, yeah, it might be rude to do it. He, he might have bad manners by wearing a hat inside, but it doesn't mean that he's sinful or he's trying to dishonor God by what he's doing. Very different culture, very different context. <clears throat> and even today, in, in 2023, we have understandings of the way things should be today and, and culture and context of today's time. There are things that are appropriate that we know and things that are inappropriate today. You know, we all have these kind of unwritten rules where we live um, with the people that we interact with, whether we realize it or not. And so we got to be careful to honor those things to a certain extent <clears throat> so that we don't offend people and help orderly worship to take place. And at the same time, <coughs> we have to realize that we're not called to uphold traditions, okay, but we're called to uphold the true teachings of Jesus Christ and maintain that holiness and integrity in it through our worship. So it's not a matter of traditions. It's a matter of upholding the integrity of Christ in all that we do. And the question is today is, are you willing to do that so you don't detract from Christ in any way? And are you committed to making sure that Christ gets the most glory possible and to do that in a way that you're not offending people and not going against the grain of culture and expectations of people that you're offending them and hindering them from worship? Only you can answer that. All right, let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this day and this time we have together. Thank you for your love and your mercy. God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives today. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul who was addressing some of these difficult issues that these people are going through. And I pray that you would use the wisdom that you gave him to infiltrate us so that we can apply it to our culture and our context today. And God, that we can just have the best worship and, and honoring of you that we can possibly have in our lives and also in our public worship services. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. Um, as always, if you can't catch us in person on campus, watch us on YouTube or Facebook. Listen to the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you all have a great week.